because next week we will be together, but we will be inside and the AC will be cranking, I'm sure. But it is so good to be here. It is wonderful to see everybody here, our guests and the people that we have known a long time. We are glad that we are all, we can all be together. I want to make sure that everybody knows that the words to the songs are on the table. Also, the basket, the offering basket is on the table as well. And so it's not that you have to pay for the lyrics, but it is there for your pleasure as well. So let that be known. And also don't forget, again, next week we will be indoors. So with all of that having been said, let's pray together. Lord, we come to worship you. We are so thankful to be part of a family where you are our Father. You're our Creator, our Sustainer. And Lord, you give us everything. And so, Lord, today we just worship you. We are so grateful for, for your character and how you love us. Lord, I pray that as we worship you, that you impact our hearts and our feet. You change how we think, you change what we do, and even why we do what we do. And Lord, I pray that you would gain the glory from each person that is here today. Lord, I pray that you would take us each to the next step. That coronavirus or anything else that's going on would not stop us from growing in discipleship. So help us today to do what and be what be who you want us to be today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been going through the Bible for about half the year now, and we come to one of the more familiar Old Testament passages, and we're dealing with the prophets at this point in our study, and we're looking at Jonah today. It wasn't awful long ago when we went through the, the book of Jonah. We took a number of weeks and spent a long time in the book of Jonah, and so today we're going to look at it a little differently, but one time, one sermon from this book. And so, I want us to think about a question. And as a good, red-blooded American, or however you want to describe a patriot, hear this question. Is it possible for pride in our own nation to keep us from being a part of God's purpose in all nations. Chew on that. Think on that. As we look at Jonah, is it possible for pride in our own nation to keep us from being a part of God's purpose in all nations? And <clears throat> I want to also set a little context for Jonah before we read chapter 1. And so I want to go back to 2 Kings 14 
where there is a, a small excerpt about the prophet Jonah. Jeroboam was the king of Israel. And in the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years. Well, why is that important? It's not really in the life of Jonah except for this. Jeroboam, when he was king, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hepher. And so what happened here was is that God spoke through Jonah to Jeroboam and told him to go shore up this area of Jerusalem, or I mean of Israel, go and get ready because they're coming. And so, basically, Jonah tipped them off, and they withstood the onslaught, and Jonah was a hero. They thought highly of Jonah because he basically saved the day. And so, with that in mind, I want you to hear something very familiar to you, Jonah chapter 1. The Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. <clears throat> then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. So they cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, please do not let us die for 
taking this man's life. So, I mean, do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you please. <clears throat> then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. If you grew up in church, you know what follows. Jonah inside the fish for three days. And while in the fish, he prayed. And at the end of three days, the fish vomits Jonah out on dry land. And then Jonah goes to Nineveh. And he goes to them. And he goes from city to city. And here's his, here's his great sermon. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's it. He studied long and hard over that, I'm sure. He needed to know Greek and Hebrew to come up with 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. As a pastor, as a preacher, it's a little frustrating. <laughs> I feel like I work a little harder than he did on that. I feel like I studied a long, long time to come up with more than just those eight words. But then, verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. So he seriously went to them and said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the last, put on sackcloth. Guys, they're animals fasted. Forty days, and Nineveh's going to be overturned, and they got it. They believed it, and they turned. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. So they were in mourning for their sin. They got it. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So Jonah preached the shortest sermon of his life. They turned. And God relented. And then chapter 4 of Jonah shares really Jonah's response. Most pastors, when they preach, if a whole country turns to God, they're pretty happy. We call that revival. He was ticked. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord. So basically he was ticked because God is merciful and God saved the people. <clears throat> so why was that? Because 
Jonah didn't like these people. He didn't want good news to get to them because God might relent and save them. And God wanted, I mean, and Jonah wanted their sorry tales to die. Just a little background on Assyria. Assyria was, was mean. They were bad people. When they took over another country, they were horrific. They were incredible warriors, and they often won. And when they won, they were not very gentle with their victims. They were well known for burning their victims, for cutting off fingers and toes, and even for cutting off their noses. I don't know where cutting off your nose to spite your face came from, but that is what I think of. They were bad people. Their enemies did not do well. And so, Assyria, the capital city of Assyria is Nineveh, which hilariously means fish town. And so, he is angry. They are enemies. And what would you think of, you know, over the years, we have, our country has gone to war a few times. <clears throat> and I imagine preaching this sermon in the 40s, it would be easy to identify if God were to call you to go and be a missionary to Japan or to Germany or to even North Korea or Vietnam in later years. What about Iraq? And hearing the things that the enemy has done to you and then go to them with a a message about a God who saves. And then, not only that, once God gets your attention, you actually do it. You preach one quick sermon and the whole country turns to God. And the people that were enemies, God sees them as his children and part of the same family of which you are a part. So what's interesting is, Jonah didn't run away because he was afraid of failure. Jonah ran away because he was afraid of success. He was afraid, and he told God, that's exactly what I told you you were going to do. That's why I ran. You're going to save him. So in all of this, let's spend a few minutes and see what we can learn about God. Some of these things we highlighted before when we went through this book. But what we learn about God is we learn about his sovereign control. He's sovereign over nature. He's sovereign over the, the plant that grew up and provided shade for Jonah. He's sovereign over the big fish. He's sovereign over the fact that that fish was at that place at that time and hungry for that prophet. He also was sovereign and made that fish cute at a specific time when 
he would so happen to be near land so that the prophet that he puked up wouldn't drown. That is the sovereignty of God over nature. He's also sovereign over nations. The fate of Nineveh was in God's hands. And he's also, he exhibits his sovereignty over nations, over nature, and God's people can't outrun God's pursuit. We learned this about God. And you cannot outrun God. And the more I speak with, with veterans of life who are, they've lived lives, the more I hear their testimony and how God, God got their attention and how they tried to run and God did not allow them to outrun him. And, you know, he has sovereign control, but he also has merciful compassion. And he was merciful toward sinful pagans. He was merciful toward a selfish prophet. And, you know, not just to the irreligious, but to the religious. Not just to the unrighteous, but to the self-righteous. And wherever you find yourself in this, you can hopefully see God's merciful compassion. That God cares about this. And, and we see that, that everyone in this book is messed up. You know, the people aboard the, the ship, Jonah messed up. People on the ship messed up. People in Nineveh messed up. Messed up people. But God showed his merciful compassion to all of them. But we also see God's global concern. He's concerned for Nineveh. You know, he loves his people. In, in Genesis 12, when God set apart Israel, he told them that through them all nations would be blessed. So from Genesis 12 and still, it's still going on in Jonah chapter 4. And in Jonah chapter 4, the end of it, after, after Jonah said, I'm angry enough to die, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? He has a global concern. He loves his people for the sake of all people. His chosen people for the sake of all people. The global purpose of God has always faced resistance from the nationalistic people. You hear that? It's true then, it's 
true now. The global purpose of God has always faced resistance from the nationalistic people of God. And so, what we learn about God, but let's look at what we can learn about Jonah. And I think Jonah, we think about the prophet. If you think about Elijah from last week, and you think of Jonah this week, when you, if you just look at it very simply, and you think Elijah was a great prophet, Jonah, eh, not as much. What we learn about Jonah is he wanted his way more than he wanted God's will. And we hear about this. We hear the telling of his story. We hear the telling of his heart. He was ticked when God did good to the people that Jonah wished for bad. He desired the good of his nation more than he desired the gospel in other nations. On the ship, we hear the first first person words of Jonah. We hear the narrator telling the story, but then on the ship, he actually speaks, and the first thing he says is, I am a Hebrew. He is a Hebrew, he's a Jew, he's, he's pretty happy about that. And last week, I said something, I asked a question that comes up again this week. Are you an American that happens to be a Christian or are you a Christian that happens to be an American? You know, Jonah desired the good of his nation more than he desired the gospel in other nations. He knew the character of God in his head but he ignored the compassion of God in his heart. He knew it in his head. He knew that God had the tendency to be merciful and compassionate. He knew that God might save these people. But still, he was more concerned about his own empty desires than he was about others' eternal destinies. God even got in Jonah's face, so to speak, and said, you care more about a plant than you do about people. You are more concerned with shade than with salvation. And in all of this, he failed to, to really connect the mercy of God in his own life with the mission of God in the world. God showed him mercy in this plant. And for which, Jonah was very happy. That is the words of scripture. He is very happy about a plant. But, he was not happy when God showed mercy on the people. And so he failed to connect the mercy of God in his life with the mission of God in the world. He was fine with receiving mercy, but he refused to share it with Nineveh. 
And we look at him and we think, golly day, man, he's a selfish joker, isn't he? But are these our tendencies as well? You know, when we, when we think about it, should we not do some of these things, perhaps all of these things, ourselves? I, I knew a pastor that with this miraculous rescue 
I want to turn to Matthew 12, where Jesus shares about Jonah. In chapter 12 of Matthew, verse 38 and following, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. And so you see what's going on here. Jesus spoke about Jonah three days. And so there is a miraculous rescue. Jonah was alive after three days in a fish. I don't know of any other occasion where that's happened in all the history of humanity. I have heard stories about people getting eaten by fish, sharks, whales, and other things, you know, but none of them come back after three days. And Jonah alive after three days in a fish, keep in mind, he was alive the whole time in the fish. He came back alive from being alive. The miracle was he was in a fish. He had been eaten and spent three days with whatever is inside of a fish. And I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it needed some Febreze, right? <laughs> and Jesus, he was alive after three days in the grave. He came back after three days of being dead. And so what his point is, is this message of repentance. Jonah said, repent, for the judgment of God is coming. And Jesus is making this point. Jonah was alive in a fish for three days and came and said, repent. And they repented. I came back from being dead for three days and I say repent and you don't repent. Jesus, though Jonah says repent for the judgment of God is coming. Jesus says repent for the kingdom of God is near. So there's this, this comparison. And then there's this merciful response that Jonah offers salvation for the Ninevites through God. And Jesus offers salvation for the nations. And so... We get to this. We know this story about Jonah, the big fish, and he finally goes to people's turn. He's ticked. And God reigns. 
I'm just thankful that God outruns our rebellion. Jesus outforgives our ability to sin. And now applying this to us, where we are, where we are as people, where we are as a country, some similarities here. Jonah was told to go preach. We are told to go to all the nations and preach the gospel. And so often we run. So often we say, I, I can't go. I got to be here. I got to work. I got kids. I got this and I have that. I need to do this. Maybe I'll go when the kids are gone. Maybe I'll go when I retire. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll listen and obey or not. And so the challenge for us is to be willing to surrender our lives to the Great Commission no matter what that means. And I'm often reminded when he tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, he never says that we're coming back. And when I see missionaries at the Missionary Learning Center up in, in Virginia, and I see that God has called them and they have obeyed and they are going. They're making a one-way trip in their mind. They know that they may not be back. And they may not be back because God is calling them to stay and spend their life there forever, for the rest of their life. Or that he's calling them to go there and, and preach the gospel for the rest of their life. And it won't be an old life. live in? Have you ever thought about that? We live in this nation because we were born in this nation and haven't found a good enough reason to leave. What if we're born in this country and God wants you to live in another country? Have you asked him? Have you asked him and then waited for his answer? I think for us, we get the guilt. We get the guilt trip. But then we justify it. But I give a lot of money for other people to go or I believe God has called me to be here. <clears throat> there was a big turn in my life when I heard from my missions professor at seminary Say, would you change your perspective from you are ready to go but willing to stay versus the reverse of that? We're going to stay, but we're willing to go. And just that is a big change in our lives. So, Another challenge for us is let's live for the gospel to spread to all nations more than we long to be safe, secure, 
and satisfied in our own nation. And let's, let's ask God to, to fill our heads with the truth from the word and to fill our hearts with a love for the world. we live in a society that it's easy to be ticked off. You know, we can get ticked off about anything and we can share our views and you know, nobody's there to punch us in the face because we do it on social media and we can just get all welled up and just cloud up and rain on somebody. And, and I think one of those the consequences of that is that we can form opinions about people, a, a society of people, or a kind of person. And so, it's easy, uh, an easy step from that perspective is to write them off. They are not worthy of my time. They are not worthy to hear the gospel. They are not worthy for this or that or the other. And so, We'll spend our time and say, you know, I, I think it's important for me to instill in my children the gospel. And it is. But when God tells us to go to all the nations, we don't have that same fervor about somebody else's children. Or about another society of people or another color of people or another nation that is not as nice as this one. So let's, let's think about this. Will we set aside comforts and cares and concerns for the sake of souls in the world? Facebook has shaped us in certain ways. To me, it's been a billboard of the reality of society. And what I mean by that is I have come to the conclusion that people are growing in their love more toward animals than they are toward people. And I see more and more. I've seen it through the, through the years before Facebook. But it starts to cross this line. Go with me through history. Like the history of dogs and cats, right? Dogs used to be wolves, cats used to be something that lived out in the wild and ate things, right? And, but then people found them useful. If they could not get eaten by them, they could do useful things with them. Dogs were changed, you know, bred from wolves into something that would hunt, into something that would protect. And then they started breeding them to look a certain way and not necessarily do a certain thing. And so the dog no longer had to be useful, just pleasing to the eye for whatever reason. So dogs were made to be shorter, fatter, fluffier, longer, and all of these things. And then there was a change from the dog going being outside to the dog living inside then there was a change from the dog not just living inside but owning inside so the dog ruled 
And then there's this now where there's doggy insurance. And now they're called fur babies. So now we're really close to dogs being people. And then you see now where somebody would trade your life for their dog. And what I'm getting at with that is, look, I like dogs. I own one. I don't like cats. And I don't want to own one. But the point is, is that we're loving animals more. Our love is growing for animals. I think the next step is, honestly, people are going to worship critters again. And we saw animism and all of this and tribal religions and other things and throughout the world worshiping cows and all of that. It's coming to America. It's coming. But we love critters more than we love people. I don't think that there's any other country in the world that is more developed. And even in these times, still the greatest country in the world to be born in. Why do we come here? Why do we come to America? For most of us, we didn't. We were born in America. And so we had no control over the fact that we were born into a country that has the gospel, that has food and water and medical care and things like that. And all we did was absolutely nothing. We existed because God wanted us to exist and our parents helped us to exist, but we had no vote. And I think about that. We have no right to the favor of God. You know, we have no merit that warrants the mercy of God. I did nothing to be born in a country like this. But there's, there's at least two billion people that were born into a context where there is no gospel presence. Two billion. And we have the gospel here. And I want us to, to hear this, that our primary citizenship is in heaven. Right. And God has called us to go to the world. Our country is a great country. No matter at times when we go through stuff that doesn't seem so great, it's a great country. And I am proud to be an American. I am grateful to be an American. But I want to lead myself and you to not worship America, 
to worship the God who allows us to worship him freely in America, but then not be selfish. And though our government is wanting less and less for us to share the gospel here or abroad, we are called by our God, who is greater than our country. We are called to share this gospel with the world. And we can share this gospel by going to other countries. We can share this gospel with people who have come to us from other countries. I want to say this in closing, guys. God is very merciful to us. And we did nothing to be born into this. But this did not happen. We were not born in the wealthiest society in the history of humanity just so we can sit in the shade and watch the rest of the world go to hell. That's what Jonah was doing. He was sitting in the shade looking over Assyria hoping that God would pour out his wrath on them because they deserved it just like we deserved it. And so as we look at Jonah and we see his selfishness, let us not look at his selfishness and say, wow, he was selfish, without saying that, wow, he is selfish just like me. But be careful next time you're on a boat or near the water. Because I'm sure that he's made at least one more fish that is man-sized, right? What will God have to do to pursue you to the place where you are obedient to him? What will he have to do? What will he have to take away? What will it take to get your attention? What punishment? What merciful act? What is it from God? that it will take to get your attention and get my attention to call us to see that in Matthew 28, we were called to go to the world. So let us not get comfortable and forget the rest of the world, the billions of others who long to hear the gospel. Some of them don't even know that there is a gospel. And so let us have that in our mind and pray, God, where do you want me to live? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And then let him share and then be obedient to him. I believe that in this crowd, there are missionaries that just haven't stepped out yet. And I'm praying that God would make his message very clear. That no matter our age, our place in life, no matter what Facebook says, no matter what society tells us, no matter if it seems logical financially, what is God saying to you and to me through his word? Would you pray with me over this? God, as we hear your word and we see your, your prophet Jonah, Lord, I am thankful that he shared your word and that you moved in a mighty way. And Lord, though his motives were not pure, the message that he shared was
was very pure. So Lord, that means for us that even though we are sinners, that you can still use us. And in our humanity, you can allow us the privilege of watching your divinity at work. Lord, I pray over this church, over those who are hearing the word right now. God, I firmly believe that you are calling more to go than are actually leaving to go. It doesn't make sense that there are millions in this country that know you personally and billions throughout this world that do not know you at all. The access that we have to the gospel, the access that we have to plane tickets, the access that we have to technology, and still there are billion people that don't even know you exist seems like you should be a travesty in our minds so Lord we know you're the answer we know you're able and capable we know that you have already died for those who will trust you and we know that you have given us this word so, Lord, I pray that you would make the details clear and that you would cause our hearts to obey you. As you pursued us, give us that same pursuit for others that don't yet know you. And, Lord, even if you call us to our worst enemy, help us to hate no one enough to desire them to go to hell. 